press and suppress that anger until you have the ulcer? Or do you curse trees and flip tables at church and flog bankers? Because that's super Christ-like of you. <laughs> so today we get to see what makes Jesus angry and why. Got to start with some context. So we're going out of order. So Gray next week will preach the prior 11 verses. But it's important for you to know that Jesus has just been hailed as king by the people. And so his first actions as king is to observe the temple, then curse the fig tree. Why? Verse 13, when he came to the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, Jesus is bizarre sometimes, right? You think he would be pro-tree, like he created them. And besides that, he... The fig tree isn't even in season, but he's hangry, so he curses the tree. Like this is, it seems pretty petty. It seems just like he has this little tantrum, but of course, he's Jesus, and he's not petty, and it's not a fit of anger, so let's look closer at it. Because Jesus loved to tell parables. As you know, what he's doing with this fig tree is telling a living parable, a living object lesson, something I would understand nothing about if it wasn't for some research. So Tim Keller, who some have called the the Pope of the PCA, he explains it. Middle Eastern figs bore trees. Sorry, Middle Eastern fig trees bore two kinds of fruit. As leaves were starting to come in the spring, before the figs came, the branches bore little nodules which were abundant and very good to eat. Travelers liked to pick them off and eat them as they made their journey. If you found a fig tree that had begun to sprout leaves but had none of these delicious nodules, you would know that something was wrong. It might look okay from a distance because the leaves had emerged, but if it had no nodules, it was diseased or maybe even dying inside. Growth without fruit was a sign of decay. So the leaves no actual fruit there. There was the symbol of fruit, but, but no substance of fruit. And from a distance, the tree looked really healthy. But as Jesus got closer, the disease was disturbing. So how could this possibly relate to the activities he saw at the temple? It becomes quite clear, doesn't it? There was leaves, but no fruit. The the temple looked healthy from a distance, but up close, it was diseased and disturbing. It had the symbol, but not the substance of faith. Which leads us to verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, when I heard this story in Sunday school, I pictured this like 
the, our church picnic, our church carnival, that in the parking lot there was a few tables or booths, and Jesus goes and flips a couple things. But this was an operation. This was like Costco. There, there was, on each side of the temple mount, there's what's called the Gentile court, and this is where all this marketplace was happening. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, he, he records that one year at Passover, just one year, in that one week, over 250,000 livestock were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts. 250,000. So this is Costco with livestock. And so this is an operation. This is not just a couple th- tables Jesus going to flip. He is, he is interrupting the commerce of this place. And Passover was also the time where Jews had to pay their temple tax. So if you were 20 years or older and a male, you had to pay your temple tax exactly half a shekel. And so that's why they had money changers there, because Jews were coming from all over. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were coming for Passover, and they needed their sacrifices, and they needed their tax money. So the shrewd business set up shop, right? It's business 101. And they had already known, well, the Mount of Olives, that market is pretty saturated, And with the Roman occupation here, we're landlocked, but we do have this huge space right here on our Temple Mount. Let's use that as a thoroughfare. We'll use this. Our supply chain will go up. Our profits will increase. This is for us. God is blessing us richly right now. And so what the marketers would do there is is charge exorbitant fees in order to exchange gouging the people who were coming to use the marketplace. And you should know there was, there was markets outside of the temple, and Jesus took no issue with that. It's that the temple authorities had authorized to be set up inside the temple court, specifically on the Gentile courtyard. And Jesus is, flips tables, and he flogs the bankers, and, and he explains why. Which, is, which he does with two Old Testament quotations he links together. The first one is a quotation from Isaiah 56, which they would know what this is from. He says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? So when he's talking about his house, he means the temple. And, and we have a picture that we can put up of the temple. And so the temple had the inner courtyard. This is a recreation that's in, in Jerusalem, but a recreation of it, and that inner courtyard, you can see that's where only Jews could go, but the outer courtyard on each side, that was the Gentile court, and that's where Gentiles could come, and, and they were supposed to come and hear the word taught, sing praises, and, and encounter the presence of God. That was the idea of this space on either side of that inner court. And Isaiah 56 says this, that that foreigners will delight in the salvation of God. Foreigners will delight in the salvation of God. God says, I will make foreigners joyful in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
the Gentiles included. And the second half of Isaiah 56 is a stern rebuke to wicked authority at the time. And so Jesus is quoting this and pointed right at the, the religious authorities saying, you are blind shepherds without understanding. You are the, the lazy beasts that are never satisfied. Your gluttony is never satisfied. And if that's not damning enough, he, he links this with Jeremiah 7. When he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. You've turned my house, my temple, into a den of robbers. And Jeremiah 7 is actually a sermon that Jeremiah delivers. Guess where? On the Temple Mount. And what he's doing is calling out the people of Yahweh for their horrific behavior. They're defrauding one another. They're oppressing the poor, the, the, the widowed, the marginalized. They're taking advantage of each other, shedding innocent blood, worshiping foreign gods, and committing adultery. Then after all of these abominations, they flee to the temple, make their sacrifices, and think, I'm good now. They think they are going to escape justice because they have the temple and because they do their religious ceremonies. And so this is a scathing condemnation and warning. Repent. Turn around. You're not safe. Your temple is this invincibility token that will save you from God's justice. 600 years later, Jesus is quoting this on the same Temple Mount, telling the authorities, you are not spared from God's discipline and justice just because you have this Temple Mount, just because you're doing the religious things. Archaeological excavations near the Temple Mount have uncovered the remains of palatial-like mansions that belong to the ruling priestly families. So what was happening is that the, the Jewish leaders were gouging the poor and then building mansions. And this is why Jesus comes in and flips the tables. He, this is, is what makes Jesus furious, that they've twisted their God-given authority to commercialize their religion, exploiting the poor and the foreigner in the process. For their own greed, he is furious and if you're in here, if you're in this room, or you're listening to this online somewhere, and your reason for not following Jesus is hypocrisy, that's flimsy because Jesus hates religious hypocrisy more than you do. Jesus saw the, the busyness and the business of religion, but not the substance of faith. Furious. That's what makes Jesus angry. Just like the fig tree, Jesus came to Jerusalem in search of spiritual fruit, hungry for spiritual fruit. But in, instead of finding fruit, instead of finding purity, this place, the temple that was supposed to purify the, the city around it, it was profaned by the people entering it. The opposite was happening. 
And Jesus, the ultimate here to heal that disease and to purify the temple. And how do the religious leaders respond to Jesus? Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They want to destroy Jesus. And this verse really pulls back the ribcage of the religious leaders, right? And we can see right into the wickedness, the evilness, the rottenness of their hearts. When Jesus is the purifier here to cleanse the temple, they would rather destroy the purifier than be purified themselves. They would rather destroy the purifier than be purified themselves. And this is the disease. This is the decay. This is what makes Jesus furious. And this is why he curses the fig tree and in turn is relating this to the authorities. Jesus is the purifier. That's 2000, this happened 2,000 years ago. Let's bring it back to today, 2020. This is going to be really difficult, but how could we possibly apply Jesus' condemnation of the religious busyness, the religious business, and commerce of religion to the American church? And people say the Bible's not relevant. The American church, we've never commercialized Jesus, right? We, we've never tried to take Jesus and have a personal profit off of him, right? We've never used him as a ticket to get something else that we really wanted. I follow this guy named Scott the Painter on Instagram, and, and he posted this picture. Can we put it up, Ethan? And, and that white object piercing Jesus' side is a square credit card reader. And along with that, it was, this was his confession. He said, I found myself legitimately pining for content in my secret, sacred conversations. He was praying so that he could post something to Instagram. Pictures and words, right? How often do we use Jesus as a ticket to what we really want? What a piercing confession for, for the American church and to my own shame for my own soul. Really, even this morning as I'm praying, Lord, search my heart. I, I want to say I'm here with the purest of motives. But I, I can't say that for, with certainty. I have to, have to confess there's something mixed within me. And, and as I studied the text this morning or this week and prepared, I see the brilliance of God. And I see the, the ferocity and compassion of Jesus in his love and justice. And I want to use this time right now to, to help magnify Christ Jesus so that we would all make much of him so that we'd all enjoy and worship him and be his display people to the, to the nations. But I want to be a good preacher because, because I don't want people to suffer, but at the same time, I want to be a good preacher because I want you to like me. 
And I, I know John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. But a lot of times, I think, well, maybe I can increase with Jesus. Right? I, I want my small group to grow so that Jesus and I can have more influence. I want my church to grow and buy a new building so that Jesus and me can have some more influence. So we can impact the, the community around us. Me and Jesus, we're doing it. And obviously there's some good in there, but there's obviously some wicked intentions in there too. And Jesus is pointing right at the religious leaders, your pastors, your elders, and he's condemning them for this. But at the same time, it's not hard to include the whole congregation in this, right? It's not hard to say that all of us are often the fruitless fig tree and the loveless religious leaders. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. Often we are the temples in needing of being cleansed. We, we need to be rebuked. Jesus is not impressed with how busy we are for him. God wants our hearts, not our heartless religious activities. And so a, a couple reflection questions for you. Does your religious activity have the appearance of godliness without the fruit of godliness, without love in your heart? Do we come to church and sing and serve for the symbol of religion or for the substance of relationship with God and with his family and to display his glory to the world? The priests and the scribes wanted to destroy Jesus because he was a roadblock to their agendas, right? And I'm going to assume since you're here, you're not wanting to destroy Jesus. But are you tempted to distort him? To fit him into your... Are you starting with fixing your eyes on Christ and allowing him to shape your beliefs, your worldview, your politics, your lifestyle, the way you spend your money, are you being conformed into that image? Or are you starting with yourself and then distorting Jesus into someone made in your own image so that you can continue advancing your agendas? Jesus, this lion and lamb, this paradoxical figure, who loves his enemies and gives his life for those who hate him. Are you allowing him to challenge your beliefs and your lifestyle the way you live? And we need to be cleansed. That's the bottom line. We all need to be cleansed. And, and again, that's why it's such good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Because Jesus is the better sacrificial lamb. 
better than all the millions sacrificed over Passover. Every impurity, every sinful desire, every sin that we've thought, did, or left undone. I said that wrong, but you know what I mean. All of that is nailed to the cross. The early church came to see the cross as another tree of life. Because where Israel failed to be the tree of life, God's display and declare people to the world, Jesus on the cross succeeded in being that tree of life. He brought hope and light to the nations, to the Gentiles. Jesus is the better Jeremiah who preaches and warns us from the Temple Mount. Jesus is the good shepherd. The, the religious authorities, Jesus called blind shepherds without understanding. But Jesus is the good shepherd who has compassion on his sheep, who lays his life down for the sheep and then calls us by name to him. Jesus is the true and better king who immediately exercises his royal prerogative to cleanse the temple. The, the king who loves justice, equality, and the inclusion of all nations in his kingdom. See, the Jews thought the Messiah would come and cleanse the temple of foreigners. But Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple for foreigners. And then not only that, he becomes the true and better temple. One not made with human hands. But the place where Gentiles, like me and probably you, can call to him, be made new, made alive, live in his presence, Abide in him and bear good fruit. The place where we come for true life, for true satisfaction, and where we, when we spend time with him, when we live with him, when we abide in him, we do become the light of the world that Israel failed to be. Brothers and sisters, God wants your heart, not your heartless religion. And the world around us, the community around us, the nations around us, they are coming for fruit, whether they realize it or not. And so when they come to you, when they interact with this temple people, are they coming and are they tasting the fruit of bitterness? The, the fruit of impatience? the fruit of anger, the fruit of gossip? What, what are they tasting when they interact with you? Or are they coming and tasting the fruit of the Spirit? Because when we abide in Jesus, when we find our security, our significance, our belonging, and depend utterly on him, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Utterly on him, then we do good works. It's just an outflow. We do them in love. We're compelled to do good work in love, not out of obligation, not out of fear, but in love. And when that happens, when that happens, we are a light to the nations. We are hope for the nation. We are, we are good hope for the, the community around us, our neighbors. And so my prayer for New Valley Downtown, is that, that we would be people who bear fruit of love, 
that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, and that nations and neighbor come and, and they interact with us and they see a glimpse of Jesus, a snapshot of, of what God's glory is like, and, and then they get to decide, do I want to be a part of that? My prayer is that, that what happens for, what happened to me, observed New LA downtown even at a distance, is that that would be multiplied and happen over and over and over again for the glory of God. Pray with me. Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on us, sinners. And like blind Bartimaeus, heal us and give us a vision for our life. to leave behind our cloaks, our religiosity, immediately, our pretension, and follow you. Jesus, cleanse this community and cleanse us individually that we may be pure temples for your spirit. And by your power, may we be a tree of life, giving each other and the world around us a taste of your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Keep us abiding. And your people said, Amen.